Good morning. You are listening to Zena Richardson and Scotty Foster, your host today with Behind the Lines on 2XX Community Radio 98.3 FM. More than 700,000 varieties of the world's 117 most important crops are preserved between 11 international cropped gene banks. When war broke out in Syria in 2011, one of the first responses was to save their ancient seed bank. Seed bank staff members risked kidnapping and death to rescue their seeds and get them safely out of the country to the Svalbard, if I hope they pronounce that correctly, Svalbard Seed Vault in Norway. Uh, the gene bank designed to outlast all other gene banks from its location in the Arctic Circle and to come to our rescue in case of worldwide catastrophic crop destruction. This act of determination and courage demonstrates just how precious and vital seeds are and how the art of seed saving is fundamental to how we will continue to feed and nourish ourselves as a species. During COVID, we got a taste of what food access shortage might look like, and people started panic buying seedlings. Suddenly, we all wanted to be instant gardeners. But with high demand, seedlings and seeds were suddenly in short supply. So Canberra Seed Savers answered the call. Joining us this morning to talk about seeds and seed sovereignty and the magic of uh, seeds in the garden, we have Arian McVie from Canberra Seed Savers. Good morning, Arian, and welcome to the show. Hi, Zena. Hi, Scotty. Thanks for having me. Wonderful. So with um, Seed Savers, Arian, perhaps you could give our listeners a little bit of a background into who you are and, and, and what, what you do and a little bit about seed saving and, and how you got involved. Yeah, no worries. So um, seed saving is a millennia old practice and fundamentally at heart, uh, it's about growing um, selecting, saving and sharing and growing again um, the seeds that we need for our food. And so seed saving is, um, in essence, a really simple process. It's about working in partnership with nature, um, using the culture and the techniques and the wisdom that we've learnt over the millennia. And through that partnership with nature, we make sure that we're building a really resilient, locally adapted and really importantly, commons-owned, community-owned um, seed store. And for us, that's fundamental to food sovereignty. So what we do uh, at Canberra Seed Savers is we're a network and now also a registered cooperative of local gardeners and farmers across the region and we grow um, food crops because we're growing from seed we get to grow some amazing fun interesting stuff that you just don't find in the shops um, we educate each other, we inspire um, and we encourage people to save seeds from those crops and from those save seeds um, we're building what we call a living seed bank mm. and the living seed bank is about sharing those seeds so once we've grown them and saved them um, we share them across our network and the reason we do that is because we believe that seeds are best when they're shared um, just like people, they're best when they work in community <coughs> together um, and so Seed Savers mm -hmm. is really all about that and we aim through doing that to reach out and inspire and educate and support more and more people to do the same thing. So you mentioned uh, Living Seed Bank. Is that different to the gene bank I just mentioned in the, the Syrian situation? Is, is that like a cold storage sort of seed situation and the Living yeah. Seed Bank is more viable for right now? 
Well, our, our focus here um, with Canberra Seed Savers is really about keeping the seeds growing every season. And that's a function of a couple of different aspects. So first one is we can't afford the amazing equipment um, that you need in order to set up, you know, proper long-term viable storage of seeds. Um, and that's something that's kind of a bit outside of our grasp. But even more so, even if we could do that, what we think is that because seeds are alive um, and they grow each season, they mm. learn, they mm. adapt, and a really important um, focus for our future is on breeding and adapting and sharing seeds that know how to grow here. Mm. And we can only do that if we grow them each season. Mm -hmm. um, the other part of that is that we really believe that having some seed for us, because we're backyard <laughs> growers and farmers, you know, Having some seed locked up um, is a great is a great strategy at a macro scale or at a national scale. For us, um, sharing them is a much more viable way to get more people involved as well. So it's a living seed bank in that we grow season on season, we share, we swap, and we try to keep those seeds growing and adapting. So do seeds climatise the way plants do? So you yeah. talk about the intelligence of the seed, where the seed learns um, how to adapt to this particular climate and then can be more of a thrivable organism? Yeah, absolutely. And it's the intelligence of the seed and the intelligence of the human beings mm -hmm. who are working with the seed. And it's that magic combination that makes seed saving. And what we do as seed savers is each year when your crops are, you know, coming through, anybody who's mm -hmm. grown a backyard tomato mm -hmm. knows that some years are better than others and some varieties do better than others. Mm -hmm. um, and you'll always find that, you know, one particular plant's done great or you've got a particular tomato that's just mm -hmm. amazing. That process of um, selecting, mm -hmm. so looking at the plant, deciding what you want, what's worked in your place, mm -hmm. selecting those seeds and then saving them and growing them again helps the plant to adapt mm -hmm. to the local mm -hmm. environment and the local climate. And by doing that, um, we're playing a really important role in future-proofing our food system. Mm, yeah, that's fantastic. So when you plant several seeds and you get viable seedlings and you look at all those seedlings, I'm guessing what you're doing is you're picking the most vigorous that are coming up. So you're seeing, obviously, which seeds have the strongest um, thrivability for where you're where you're growing the seedlings and where yeah, you're planting. Yeah, ab absolutely. Um, there's a, um, uh, I always joke in the courses that I run mm -hmm. that the, you know, the golden rule of seed saving is um, is perhaps the hardest thing that you can do mm -hmm. um, as a human being. And that is you, you put all this effort mm -hmm. into growing your own crops and you get some great stuff mm -hmm. and you need to save the best for your seed. Mm -hmm. um, with tomatoes, that's fine because you just <laughs> scoop out the seeds and eat the rest, right? Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, it is, it is a, it is a a bit of a discipline and it is in some ways um seed savers also need to be a little bit ruthless um so you you know once you start saving seed you realize how abundant it is um so i always over sow seed and then as you say you kind of we call it roguing out um you rogue out the ones that just aren't working you know quite as well because it's about selecting for vigor and health and strength and you know the seed that wants to grow where you are Mm -hmm. And what would determine um, whether or not a seed is going to be very vigorous in a plant? Like when you, when you, when you have seeds, and they're all obviously coming from the same place originally, from the same plant, mm. um, what, what would determine that? Um, it's a bit variable, but mm -hmm. it's really just about picking the healthiest plant, mm -hmm. the best fruit. Mm -hmm. um, 
there's you know there's there's technique and you know really expert seed savers mm-hmm. and people who look for, at it from a technical mm-hmm. perspective can you know go into mm-hmm. more depth on that sort of stuff but i think there's a really great intuitive almost gut instinct that goes with seed saving mm-hmm. um, which is that you pick what you're going to want to eat again next mm-hmm. year mm-hmm. and that's the seed that you want to save that's mm-hmm. going to be the best seed it grew well this year mm-hmm. we're obviously in canberra like everywhere mm-hmm. else in the world mm-hmm. facing some really serious challenges mm-hmm. with growing food now mm-hmm. um, anybody who's been growing in canberra i've been growing for the last mm-hmm. 10 years mm-hmm. in canberra um, and I've noticed that, you know, our seasons are changing. Mm-hmm. Our summers, I mean, you don't need to say this, do you? Our summers are brutal. Mm-hmm. Um, our winters are, you know, mm-hmm. getting a bit crazy. And so one of the things that we need to do is to plant and grow and save as mm-hmm. much as we can because we will have failures. There will mm-hmm. be difficulties. Mm-hmm. So, And I've lived away from Australia for about 25 years until a couple of years ago. So I was really shocked to see the climate change in Canberra. Like yeah. my memory of it when I left 25 years ago to returning yeah. and the extremes like absolute extremes yeah. we went to when I asked someone I said is this just an odd year they said oh no it's been like this for about 10 years yeah well so, when I first yeah. started growing in yeah. Canberra um, tomatoes were you know I think every backyard in mm-hmm. Canberra had tomatoes and mm-hmm. that was fine for mm-hmm. a few years and you can still grow mm-hmm. great tomatoes mm-hmm. in Canberra but I've just noticed over the last couple of seasons and mm-hmm. heard from other people as well it is getting more difficult those really mm-hmm. you know tomatoes we think of as hot weather crops mm-hmm and they are but there's a certain temperature that tomatoes can get to where they just they kind of stop and soul catch you for a mm-hmm. while um, you know they can't get pollinated properly they can't set the fruit mm-hmm. properly they won't develop and they won't ripen and so you know that's a really worrying mm-hmm. sign I mm-hmm. think that we should all be paying attention to if it's hard to grow a tomato in Canberra at the height of summer you know we need yes. to think about that and I noticed that when I was putting in my seedlings some of them just didn't didn't even grow they didn't even fruit yeah. They, couldn't, uh, they couldn't even go to that next level yeah. of, of yeah. production because yeah. of the heat. Yeah. yeah, I think that's something we mm-hmm. should all be really worried about. Mm-hmm. And, you know, one of the things that um, the Seed Savers Group is doing is experimenting with different timing, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. All of those old rules that we all thought we knew mm-hmm. um, seem to be mm-hmm. shifting. Like, it's still a good place to start. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's one of the real values, I think, of being part of a group like the Seed Savers Network. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's lots of other great groups in mm-hmm. Canberra, you know, like the Canberra City Farm mm-hmm. is a great mm-hmm. place for this as well. One of the great values of being part of a group like that is we can share that knowledge mm-hmm. and that experience. And so you're not relying on, you know, what you read in a book that was mm-hmm. published five years ago. We can really work together to work mm-hmm. out how we can grow stuff effectively. Yeah. Go ahead, Scotty. Yeah. How, how far back does that knowledge go? What, what are the... Um What are the records Mm. for when people first started Mm. saving seeds? Well, um, some people say seed savings as old as civilization itself. Mm -hmm. Um, So people uh, across the world have been growing, saving, sharing, trading um, food seeds as long as agriculture's been around. Um, It's really the foundation of agriculture. Um, So for many parts of the world, you know, that's 10,000 years. But as Bruce Pascoe says, you know, we have Mm -hmm. the original agriculturalists in this country Mm -hmm. um, and we're talking many, many, many tens of thousands of years. Um, And his work um, Mm -hmm. in uncovering that history Mm -hmm. of Australian Aboriginal agriculture is really amazing. Mm -hmm. So I think it's... And that's from Dark Emu, right? Yeah, from Dark Emu, yeah. I think it's, Mm -hmm. um, for me, it's really... 
It's an essential partnership mm -hmm. with the development of human communities. Mm -hmm. um, it's something that's kind of traced with us that mm -hmm. we've we've really importantly owned, mm -hmm. <laughs> been really active in as people who mm -hmm. need to eat, mm -hmm. um, and that's millennia old, you know, and mm -hmm. those those stories and techniques and understanding of how to do it has been mm -hmm. passed down all that mm -hmm. time. And these are the heritage seeds we're talking about too, right? That they have yeah. um, longevity where they, you know, they haven't been subjected to alteration of any kind, adulteration or being treated with pesticides. Now, I understand we had some fabulous people um, who were talking about supporting the bees in here about a month ago. Yep. And the gentleman who was with us, Cormac Farrell, who's the beekeeper yeah. at Parliament House, he yeah. talked about the problem that even the seed has the pesticide in it. That the, I think it's neonic is the name of the pesticides they use. It's yeah. the abbreviation of a longer name I can't pronounce. Yeah. Um, and that this, the viability yeah. of the seed because of the pesticides through that whole life cycle of the plant mm. was going to be detrimental to bees. Yeah. So is it possible for, for say the seeds you're saving, can they be polluted by pesticides that are in things that are growing nearby? So if your neighbours perhaps spraying or um, using a plant that was purchased commercially that has pesticides in its life cycle, can that cross over into, into your harvested seeds, your heritage seeds? Yeah. I think the first place that I start thinking about it is that for seed saving, you need to use open pollinated seeds. Mm -hmm. And so that means not hybrid and not GMO. You can't save from those. And the reason for that is you need the seed needs to breed. Um, the plants mm. need to flower. Mm. The pollinators need to do their work. Sometimes mm. wind is a pollinator, mm -hmm. you know, but largely we rely on insect pollination for our food crops. And so anything that we do that impacts, mm. damages, kills those pollinators and bees mm -hmm. are a key, key pollinator mm -hmm. for our food crops is directly impacting on mm -hmm. our capacity mm -hmm. to grow our food. And yeah, you can have that drift that happens from garden to garden. Um, there's a famous GMO case from WA actually a couple of years ago. Um, uh, Steve Marsh was an organic farmer growing, now I think it was canola, um, and he was next to a GMO canola farmer. Um, there was drift from the GMO field over into the organic farmer's field. He lost his organic certification, which destroyed mm -hmm. his business and his livelihood. Um, and there was a court case where he tried to assert that there'd been damage caused mm -hmm. by the GMO field. Um, my understanding is that Monsanto funded the court case for the GMO farmer. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Um, did, yeah. Yes, and um, uh, tragically, like not tragically, mm. but just, you know, like, God, it drives you mm. mad. Um, the organic farmer lost that because there was no way to, the court found there was no way to attribute any action or blame to the GMO farm. It's just an act of nature. And this is the problem <laughs> that we've got with pesticides and GMOs being in our environment. I you threw know? the brick at your head. It was just <laughs> gravity that brought it yeah. down. Yeah, yeah. You know, like I'm not responsible for that. So Force of nature. That's, you know, that's a, that, it's a, Funded it's a really by serious problem. But there's also, you know, we also think of, you know, no bees, no seeds, no seeds, no food, mm -hmm. you know, like whatever we do to our bees, and that includes other pollinators mm -hmm. as well, but whatever mm -hmm. we do to our bees, we do to our food supply. Yeah, I think there's GMO to the rescue then, right? Yeah, the, right. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting you mentioned that case. I didn't know about the one in Western Australia, but in Canada, there was a very famous ongoing uh, case, again, with Monsanto and uh, a farmer. Um, gentleman called Percy Schweizer. Schmeiser, mm. you heard of that? And he had the same issue where there was drift onto his property. Yeah. But what then happened, he um, didn't 
um, have an organic certification. He just had mm. his own crop. But then Monsanto sued him for actually mm. um, taking their patented seed. He said, well, I didn't take it. It drifted on. And it yeah. became this huge court battle where yeah. Monsanto was accusing him of, of, of stealing their patented crop. He said, you've now yeah. got our crop. You have to pay us so much per acre for the privilege of using our patented crop. That's just happened to drift and and. Yeah. pollinate on your land. And yeah. It's yeah. it's mm. astonishing, isn't it, that we've mm. got, like, because we're talking about our food system, <laughs> you know, we're yeah. talking about the, the food that we all need to nourish mm. us, mm-hmm. and it is astonishing that we have a legal system mm-hmm. that can do that, yeah. you know. That's, yeah. And I think we talk a lot on this show about all sorts of things in this um, area where we um, you have very, very strong opinions about um, how things operate at that level. Mm. It's one of the yeah. extensions of intellectual property, isn't yeah, it? Yeah. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's right. Mm. And, you know, intellectual property has had a really big impact um, on seeds. Sorry. And... Um, you know, in Australia, we've got a plant breeders' rights mm-hmm. regime. We've got, it's, you know, you can patent plants. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's all just a way of commodifying um, and really enclosing mm-hmm. <laughs> the commons, um, which is our, you know, our community heritage. Mm-hmm. And I think there's lots and lots to kind of delve mm-hmm. into in that. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is the trend that we've seen all across the world is an increasing commodifica- commodification, corporatization, and it's all about profit. Mm-hmm. You know, it's also a few companies can make a profit and restrict our access to yeah. our food. Mm-hmm. There's um, a gentleman called... Uh, Bill McDormand from um, mm, Rocky Mountain yeah. Seed Alliance. You've yep. been over here. Do you mind if I just read his quote here? Mm. And this is, is exactly about what you're He's saying fabulous. about the yep. patent versus yep. um, doing it traditionally. And he said, I've, I've never said that genetic engineering may not have a breakthrough someday that saves us. I don't know about that. I'm too much of a scientist to say never. But what I do know is that with the $150 million it takes to create one new crop, we could reach seeds, we could teach seed schools in all 50 states. There's of new small bioregional seed companies, thousands of seed libraries, tens of thousands of seeds exchanges, and uh, re-engage the population in a beautiful ritual that's been the foundation of civilization. We should be putting all our resources into going back and using these tried and true systems um, that we've had for the last 10,000 years. So there's a gentleman who's fully versed in the in the, mm. the tech side of seeds, <laughs> mm. saying that it's not viable. Mm. All this money to do one new crop yeah. that has no diversity. Yeah. yeah, I think it. You know, like it all. It all comes down to what's at the heart of the system. You know, and Eric Holt Jimenez um, <coughs> talks a lot about this. You know, a capitalist industrial food system such as we have mm-hmm. and has taken root in mm-hmm. you know most of the world mm-hmm. is really not about feeding people. Mm-hmm. That's not actually what it's about. Um, it's focused on profit because you know um, McDormand's. Uh, quote is fantastic he's you know he's a a legend in seed saving in the US Um, and it you know it really illustrates that point Mm -hmm. like this doesn't make any sense except to create profit Mm -hmm. for you know the corporate world and that'd be the same with pharmaceuticals it's not about healing right (laughs) yeah and I think we, we yeah. get back to that same problem. But I think in the beginning we touched on the situation that happened during COVID mm. where people were you know, literally panic buying seedlings. Mm. Um, I always find that a bit odd because it's going to take a long time to grow that into food. Um, you know, so there was no seedlings to be had anywhere. And, and Canberra mm. Seed Savers came to the rescue. Like you decided that 
through that you saw that it was really important to have some viable seedlings and to maybe create mm. more of a resource there. When um, when COVID started, um, I was quite <coughs> surprised too. We started to hear reports of um, of people saying that a lot of the um, Australian seed companies that you know backyard growers go to, um, who are you know excellent suppliers, a lot of those were either shutting down their ordering or just saying you know we've got a three week delay, a four week delay, or we've run out of a particular mm-hmm. variety because there'd been a run mm-hmm. um, on the seed companies and. We were at Canberra Seed Savers. We were like surprised, um, but you know, happy in a way. That's a good thing if that's what people are thinking about. Um, but we thought, you know, look, we we had a stock of um, mm. seed on hand. So the first thing we did was move to give away as much of that mm-hmm. seed as possible, and we did that um, in March um, through just running a bit of a bit of a giveaway. Um, but then we realized, of course, kind of, you know, thinking it through, Mm. what was that run on seeds about? It Mm. is about people getting really concerned about access to food. Um, I think it's a real, you know, it shows that deep down, we all understand just how fragile our industrial food system is and how reliant we are on transporting food, massive Mm. distances. Mm. You know, we understand that we don't have control over our food Mm. system. And that's what's prompted people to have that reaction, you know, like, what if I can't get tomatoes, you know, Mm -hmm. what am I going to do? But of course, if you haven't grown from seed Mm -hmm. before, it may not be the easiest thing to, you know, suddenly produce a massive crop of tomatoes or, you know, you winter spinach. Um, So the next phase of what we looked at was how can we you know, fulfil the thing that we really want to do, which is to get people out there growing um, as easily as possible. Mm-hmm. So we switched to growing seedlings and giving those away. Um, and we did that ahead of the winter season. So at the moment, there's hundreds and hundreds of pots of winter seedlings out there, hopefully growing happily for people. Um, although from this point on, you need some cold protection for them. Um, but we worked with some community organisations, so the Canberra Relief Network, Woden Community Services, Communities at Work, um, um, and they were really helpful in helping mm-hmm. us to kind of get those seedlings out there where they're needed. Mm-hmm. And that was a really mm-hmm. successful project and really, um, for us, gave us a greater sense of connection and contribution to our community. Mm-hmm. And we're really inspired by that. Mm-hmm. So we're going to do it all again ahead of the spring season because mm-hmm. we know that, you know, those people who are worried and having a hard time a couple of months mm-hmm. ago, that's not going to go away yeah. real soon. Um, so it's about trying to, you know, connect and provide Mm -hmm. a bit of assistance so we're getting really into food sovereignty here and the idea of food sovereignty and the human right to have access to food yeah Um, perhaps you want to talk a little bit about that and also seed sovereignty yeah so um i think of food sovereignty as really being about control of our food system and in a way or just control of our access to food you know Um, and in a way it's a strange thing that we have to have something called food sovereignty and we have to have Mm -hmm. a movement for food sovereignty but we do Um, because it just seems as though it should be Mm -hmm. self-evident that human beings have a right to access food and they have a right to decide how their food is grown and they have a right to democratic control mm-hmm. over their food system and we have a right to food systems that are free from oppression mm-hmm. you know all of this is mm-hmm. about food sovereignty and 
You know, it just seems as though I think for everybody who thinks about it and, you know, has that conversation, Mm -hmm. it becomes really, really self-evident that, Mm -hmm. you know, that's what we should have. That's what we should be focusing on. Mm -hmm. And seed sovereignty Mm -hmm. is at the heart of food sovereignty. Mm -hmm. No seeds, no food. (laughs) We don't control our seeds. We can't control our food. Mm -hmm. So we're getting to a point here where, you know, there's certain places that have actually outlawed um, the saving of seeds, like I think there's some issues in South America where they're having, um, you know, forced restrictions. They're not allowed to save seeds from their crops. They're being forced to plant GMO. They're told you can only use these seeds. You can't save your own seeds. You can't plant your own seeds. Yeah. So um, do you know what, what's going on there? A little bit about that. Um, for the last couple of decades at least, mm-hmm. and, well, in fact, since mm-hmm. the Green Revolution, there have been fierce battles raging all across the world, Mm -hmm. Um, strong peasant movements um, Mm -hmm. all linked through La Via Campesina, the international Mm -hmm. peasants movement, um, have been fighting for the right to save seed, share seed, Mm -hmm. trade seed, and the regimes that apply to restrict or stop that are different Mm -hmm. depending Mm -hmm. on where you are. Um, But, uh, for example, in Mexico, um, which is the heart of (laughs) the corn, right? You know, and corn's Mm. one of, what's corn, one of our four major (laughs) crops that, you know, provide 90% of human nutrition, something Mm. like that. Um, At the heart, the birthplace of corn, um, in 2009, I think the Mexican government um, allowed GMO corn to be planted in that country. And only recently, only in the last year, has the government, the new government of um, Lopez Obrador, um, taken steps to, you know, prevent that from happening, but also to boost the rights of farmers Mm -hmm. to grow corn, to save it and to trade it. Mm -hmm. And I think that's, you know, that demonstrates that when we've got a situation where you actually need laws that allow farmers Mm -hmm. to do this thing Mm -hmm. that they've been doing for millennia, you know, something has gone seriously wrong Mm -hmm. in the whole system. And we can, you know, we can talk about um, GM cotton in India Mm -hmm. and, you know, what's been happening in Africa with, you know, seed certification, Mm -hmm. which restricts the rights of farmers to Mm -hmm. trade Mm -hmm. seed in their local markets unless it's been certified by Mm -hmm. a government organisation, you know, which Mm -hmm. is a huge, a huge Mm -hmm. restriction on the capacity of small farmers Mm -hmm. and peasants. Um, So there's, you know, there's lots and lots of stories about this going on in the world. In Australia, we have um, a patent system for plants and what's called um, plant breeders' rights. We have a really important exception, though, exemption to that capacity for um, for patenting and mm-hmm. um, commodification of plants, mm-hmm. um, and that's the farm-based mm-hmm. seed, so farm-saved seed. And that holds that, you know, no matter what the seeds are, you can grow them, even if there's a patent, mm-hmm. um, you can grow them and save them and grow them again on your own farm. But again, the fact that we've got a law that requires an exception <laughs> for that mm-hmm. is, you know... I, I just think it's terrifying. Well gone, Matt. Yeah. <laughs> I thought that patents were only for inventions. Oh, funny you should mention that, Scotty. Apparently people can invent nature now. Yes, yes, it's an interesting one. We um, have become gods. Yes. Um, uh, and, you know, if you listen to Dr. Vandana Shiva on this topic, she's amazing talking about that, you know, like a patent is about a new invention inserting a single gene into mm-hmm. a living organism does not create the entire mm-hmm. organism um, and 
you know, the fact that you could insert a gene and claim, what was I hearing the other day? Um, the, oh, this was out of the US. <laughs> I think I was listening to Bill McDormand, actually. Um, uh, you can claim that the colour purple, a particular colour purple in a lettuce um, is patentable. You can see my face right now. Yeah, I mean, we're just like, what, what? What's going on, you know? Because really, we're dealing with, you know, the development over millennia of people working in cooperation with nature to, you know... Ah, oh, I'm just... I'm yeah, lost so like, let's words. patient the sunset, you know? Yeah. But I think yeah. you get to the point where you really as you said a few minutes ago, common sense has left the room. Yeah. And mm. probably deliberately so, you know, in yeah, the sense that's that there's, there's a real t- intentional action behind this. Yeah. It's, it's not random. No, yeah. no. Look, yeah, I see right. it as being mm. part of a, a larger sort of systemic issue that we've got that you mentioned before, mm. and, that, and that's enclosure. Mm. Mm. Could you give us a, a reasonably brief rundown of, of what enclosure is and how it's run on into everything? Mm. <laughs> Well, um, without giving a, a full lecture on it, um, I, I kind of think of it, you know, like if you go back to the enclosure of the commons, right, you know, the, the movement of um, English peasants off their land forced movement, um, the forced dispossession of peasants, which is still going on all around the world. Um, the clearances. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, that, that process was there to um, remove people from their access to their land, their capacity to grow their own food, their capacity to live in their communities, and to support the development of industry um, and the development of capitalism. And so, you know, that process was fundamental because, of course, if you can have your own patch of land, grow your own food, live in your community, you know, what are you going to go and want to work as a wage slave in the factory? The for, dark you know, satanic mills. The dark yeah. satanic mills. Um, so, you know, that that's something that we kind of accept as part of history, you know, as part of the base of our system. Um, I think of what's happening with the, and I'm not alone, I didn't invent this, um, but what's happening with the gradual encroachment actually accelerating encroachment of IP and ownership of seeds and our food as the next great enclosure. Mm -hmm. You know, this is the next forcible removal of human beings from our source of life. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's happening right now, Mm -hmm. you know. It's um, particularly over the last couple of decades, as I say, you know, Mm -hmm. the the amazing um, campaigns and Mm -hmm. battles that have been fought by peasants all across the world have, Mm -hmm. you know, started to make impact. Um, People are getting Mm -hmm. more protections in different places. But it's a hard-fought battle, um, you know. And in Australia, we've got we've got GMO mm-hmm. stuff, you know. Like we've got GMO canola. Mm-hmm. Like in India, the heart of you know cotton growing, they've got GMO cotton. You know, mm-hmm. like it's a it's this thing where for some reason we're supposed to accept <laughs> that the profit imperative of capitalism means that we should you know give up our right to have that connection and control over our food and our seeds so i think of that as an enclosure by the corporate world by capitalism yeah and it's funny david holmgren points out that every enclosure is actually a movement of an existing economy an existing thing that's already happening but it's moving it from the community from mm-hmm. the household level where it's not counted mm-hmm. by GDP yep. into the monetary world yep. where it's used to funnel that wealth mm-hmm. up into the hands of a few. Yeah, exactly. Yep. And it's it's 
continuous happening in all sectors, I think. Yeah. You know, the interesting, um, when the Amazon fire started, right before the, the first big fire started, there was actually a pivotal court case where some of the indigenous community in the forest had, had won the right, the legal right to protect their land. Mm. And very funny, about 24, 48 hours after that, suddenly the forest is on fire. Mm-hmm. You know, and there's, as you said, mm-hmm. if you can't convince people to do it of their own accord, that you can't brainwash them into thinking this is a good thing, then you mm. force them to do it. You make it impossible for them to stay on their land, to farm their land. Yeah. And I often wonder too, you know, this is um, just my hypothesis, but with the bushfires we've had with the extreme climate change and people have said to me they've been told that, you know, they've been advised it's not safe to go back to live on their land, to farm on their land. It's, they, c- they can no longer be safe doing that. They should, they should come into to more concentrated city areas. They should come into where they can be safe and protected and, mm. and, and not be at risk of, of the fire. You, you can't tell someone that's lived on the land for that many years, whether it's one generation or several, and that's, they love it, you know, that they're not allowed to live there anymore. If we go back to square one and yeah. look at our building design, we can yeah. fix that up. Yeah. That's ridiculous. Yeah. Oh, no, no, we could. But, it's, again, you, you know, it's, not, it's not thinking about solutions. It, mm. this, you know, there's a very yeah. narrow um, agenda here of mm. where you want mm. people to go. Well, and how can you tell farmers mm-hmm. who, you know, for generation upon mm-hmm. generation have grown mm. and saved their own seeds or backyard growers, you know, mm-hmm. for generation mm-hmm. upon generation have treasured those seeds, have worked with the plants, you know, have saved them, protected mm-hmm. them, preserved them. You know, how mm-hmm. can we tell those people that that's somehow an illegitimate thing to do? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I was really shocked to find out um, that some of the traditional, what you consider maybe medicinal plants, um, like neem, ayahuasca, maca, and basmati rice, have all been patented uh, by biochemical food companies. You know, these are uh, traditional shamanic plants, some of them. How do you patent that? I did not know those details, but I'm yeah. not surprised yeah. <laughs> at, a, and I think at a general fairly, level. Fairly recent, yeah. yeah. And I, they say that the patent system, of course, is notorious for biopiracy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so uh, there's been a lot of mergers of the big seed companies mm. over the last couple of years, mm. and I think this is a really key part of this issue. It's not mm-hmm. like we're talking about, you know, small seed companies mm. and locally owned own seed companies um, who are forcing this mm-hmm. agenda. Um, at the moment, we have four major multinationals who control, what does, what's the latest figure, 66.5% of the global seed market. Mm. So two-thirds of our seeds, two-thirds of our seeds are controlled mm. by four major multinationals. Um, I'd say the names, but you won't recognise them because mm. there were a bunch of mergers in the last couple of years. Mm. But those mergers are of the old Dow and mm. Pont and Bayer and Monsanto yep. mm-hmm. and those are chemical companies. <laughs> so we've got chemical companies mm-hmm. in control of two thirds of the world's seed supply. That's mm-hmm. look just for the activists who are listening who've been keeping track of this sort of stuff for years. Like you know things like Monta- Monsanto's responsibility for all of its court cases and things, and you know Dow's Bhopal incident, mm-hmm. which still hasn't been repre. Rep- Oh, God, I don't even know what word that was. Hasn't had any reparations made for <laughs> yep, it. Yeah, yep. <laughs> yeah. Who, who are these, these big four now? Um, well, so we've got Bayer, uh, and I hope I get this right, Bayer swallowed Monsanto, right, mm. bought out Monsanto. Um, there's one called Corteva AgriScience, which sounds nice, mm. doesn't it? Oh, sounds like it might actually be an agricultural company. Um, that was Dow and DuPont. 
Okay. That's where they're hiding now. <laughs> hiding, silly mm-hmm. me. Um, Syngenta um, got bought out by ChemChina, mm-hmm. um, which is a massive um, Chinese-owned conglomerate. And there's one called Lima Green, which I don't know much about. Lima Green. Lima Green. Lima yeah. Green. Okay. Mm. Currently investigating that one. Mm-hmm. So, you know, this is, as, as I think you said before, <laughs> Zena, like none of this is an accident. Um, and... Uh, Dr. Vandana Shiva talks about, you know, this really came out of a concerted campaign in the late 80s by these major companies to work out how on earth could they get in on this, you know, this seed market? How could they start to control this? Um, And so, you know, the aggressive um, politicking, the, you know, the... um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? The lobbying um, and the pushing of legislation and the move toward GMOs and the increasing um, pressure to develop hybrids, um, the patenting laws, the plant breeders' rights stuff, you know, all of that kind of comes out of that flow of um, those companies trying to work out how can we, you know, take control of this. And obviously for seed savers, what we're about is saying, well, hey, no, <laughs> we want to keep control of our seeds. Um, you know, and seed savers is also about, you know, the joy of growing and it's about the beauty and the wonder of seeds and it's about the, um, you know, the wonderful way that we can work together in community, you know, to do this stuff. It's about all of those things as well. Um, but it's also seed saving is also fundamentally an act of resistance mm-hmm, mm-hmm, against mm-hmm. industrial capitalist agriculture. Mm-hmm. Last, that's right, sorry. that raised fist is actually yeah. full of seeds. <laughs> yes. Yeah, that's right. That's Sprinkling right. as we go. Yeah, um, exactly. Yeah, there was the lovely um, group, or the two gentlemen we had on last week from Canberra City Farm and Canberra Organic Growers talked about gorilla gardening. So yeah. you might be moving towards gorilla seed saving. Yeah, you know? yeah, 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 absolutely. Um, gorilla gardening is fantastic, <laughs> isn't yeah. it? Yeah, it's such a great idea. Mm-hmm. Um, but I tell you what, since I started I've never been seed able saving, to sprout me gorillas. Oh well, you're not you're not you're not working hard enough at it. You can come and get some gorillas. It's climate seeds change, from us. Scotty. It's climate change. <laughs> Um, mm-hmm. Since I started seed saving, though, I, I tell you mm-hmm. what, I do notice the landscape in a different way. Um, mm-hmm. It's amazing. You can kind of see things, you know, going to seed. And sometimes when we talk to people about doing seed saving, you know, they quite reasonably say, oh, look, you know, like for, for a plant to set seed, it has to spend a really long time in my garden, you know, mm-hmm. and I want to I move it on. Um, and that can be true. Mm-hmm. But also when you let a plant go to seed, it's going to produce flowers, which is going to be lovely, um, which is going to attract the pollinators to your garden, which is mm-hmm. going to be amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're just doing backyard seed saving, you can normally just have a couple of plants mm-hmm. to save, you know. Mm-hmm. And it's really, it's just not as technical mm-hmm. and as difficult and mm-hmm. as, you know, professional as you might believe if you picked up, you know, like mm-hmm. a, a heavy tome on mm-hmm. the on the technicalities mm-hmm. of seed saving. You know, there's there's things to know. Mm-hmm. Um, there's wisdom and knowledge and techniques and culture about it, mm-hmm. but it's not anything that's beyond the reach mm-hmm. of every gardener. You mm-hmm. know, and that's one of the things that Canberra Seed Savers really wants to do is mm-hmm. to give you know to work with people to develop as much education to pass mm-hmm. on those skills and that knowledge, and mm-hmm. to hopefully inspire more people to get excited mm-hmm. about doing it. You know, mm-hmm. it's fun. So if you could maybe walk us through a scenario. So I'm a five year old child who is asking my mummy and daddy about gardening and I want to know how to save seeds. What would that look like? Like what, what would you say at that level somebody who's a curious, curious child wants to know how to do this? What, 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 where would they start? How would they go about yeah. it? So you start with the seed. <clears throat> 
Um, and if you're a mm. kid, like mm. one of the best things um, mm. about seeds is that mm. they're so beautiful. And I brought some props because they work great on radio. Um, but, you know, yeah, like, she has beautiful okay. props in front of beautiful you. Wonderful, props. wonderful um, multicoloured corn here. Yeah, multicoloured corn. And, you know, like I've got a little jar here full of all these different coloured bean <laughs> seeds and corn seeds and sunflowers and <laughs> all sorts of stuff. But, you know, seeds are fascinating <laughs> for kids. Um, we do lots of markets <laughs> and workshops and, you know, um, I'm going to an early childhood education centre next week and we take along this seed tray and kids just fall in love with them you know um, all of the colours and the variety and it's tactile so what I would say to a small kid is you take a seed take the seed in your hand and then add another one right so always use two because when you grow your own seed seed is nature's great multiplier the abundance mm -hmm. is amazing, okay? So if you've got one seed, you can have two, and you take those seeds and you pop them in the ground, um, and seed saving is about putting a seed in the ground, letting it grow, taking care of it, and letting it live a really long, happy, satisfied life um, until it decides that it wants to make more seeds. Um, and when it wants to make more seeds, it will flower, the bees will come, They'll help the flowers to make seeds and then you'll see the seeds come to start to develop on the plant. And if you have a lettuce, for example, mm. you wait for those seeds to develop and you take the lettuce, you pull it out and you stick it upside down in a brown paper bag. Mm. You leave it for a little while, you shake it. And when you pull the plant out and you look in the bottom of the bag, you'll see thousands and thousands mm -hmm. of lettuce mm -hmm. seeds. And that's all it is. Mm -hmm. Plant a seed, help it to grow help you know harvest so those one seeds lettuce, at the end there's the possibility of an entire crop well from one lettuce um thousands and thousands of seeds so mm -hmm. one lettuce seed and it's a tiny tiny seed mm -hmm. lettuce mm -hmm. seed from one tiny little lettuce seed more mm -hmm. seeds than you could ever possibly need mm -hmm. you could share them with everybody you've ever met mm -hmm. and everybody would be able to grow enough lettuce seeds to mm -hmm. share with everybody mm -hmm. they've ever met um mm -hmm. it's an astonishing amount of abundance mm -hmm. that nature creates for us um, um, that, you know, we, we own and we share. And I, I have found that kids love, you know, that process of being able to take the seed, pop it in the ground and, you know, watch what happens. So. And if they want to store seeds, what's, you know, obviously we're going into winter, might not want to plant for a month or two. Yeah. Um, so, you know, you've collected your seed from all your lettuce that's bolted and <laughs> you've shaken all the seeds into a paper bag. So is that the best place to keep them in a paper bag out of out of light and damp and... Yeah, so it's interesting. It's it's another one of those things where you can you can get a bit techy on it, mm. but you really don't have to. Mm. Um, for most mm. of us, because we're just going to save the seeds for a bit and mm. you know plant them again in the next season. Mm. Um, you know, tomato seed saving, mm -hmm. for example, can be as simple as taking a tomato, chopping it open, and spreading the pulp on a piece of paper towel. Make sure you write down what sort of tomato it was because you won't remember. Um, but, you know, then pulling apart those bits of paper and sticking the seeds in the ground the next season, you know, that is seed saving. That's perfectly good seed storage for a couple of seasons. Um, you got the lettuce plant, you stick it upside down in the brown paper bag. Um, you know, it, it'll be fine for a couple of months. Make sure you don't get any, you know, mice eating it or anything like that, but it'll be okay for a while. You know, you don't need to do anything too fancy. Um, what you do need to be aware of with saving seeds, though, is to make sure that um, they're dry. Mm -hmm. um, so seeds, um, 
seeds are, I, you know, it's a perfect little capsule of life. So mm. every seed has contained mm. in it everything that that new plant mm. needs um, to start its life mm -hmm. and to thrive for the first part of its life. And you want to protect that. And the seed does it naturally itself by having a hard coating around it. Mm -hmm. But in order for that to mm -hmm. work, the seed has to be dried properly. Mm -hmm. So it kind of goes to sleep mm -hmm. for a while. Um, so that's the only thing to watch mm -hmm. out for. I've ruined corn seeds. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, I'm sure lots of people have by sticking them in a glass jar and screwing the lid on before they were dry. Mm -hmm. So that's probably the only real mm -hmm. thing to watch out for. There's some things, you know, like bean seeds, you can stick them in the freezer to kill any bugs mm -hmm. that might be in there. Little tips and tricks like that. And if you're interested, come in talking to Canberra Seed Savers is mm -hmm. the way to go. Mm -hmm. We can share all of that. Great. So you do um, workshops and all sorts of, uh, like there's a newsletter, I believe, or something you can sign yeah. up for. Yeah, yeah. So we um, uh, we do a bunch of different mm -hmm. stuff um, and always looking for, you know, uh, more mm -hmm. things to do. There's so many opportunities mm -hmm. to do stuff. Um, Canberra's a great place for this. We base ourselves at the Canberra Environment Centre over in Acton mm -hmm. um, and that's where we kind of keep the seeds that we've mm -hmm. got and share them out from there. Um, so we try to have regular get-togethers again, pre-COVID mm -hmm. sort of thing, have regular get-togethers over there. Um, we go mm -hmm. to markets, we run workshops at the Environment Centre. I've run a couple of online workshops mm -hmm. over the last couple of months. Um, we get out there and just try to find different mm -hmm. ways um, to meet people mm -hmm. and talk about seed mm -hmm. saving. Um, we work together mm -hmm. to do the seed saving. Mm -hmm. And for me, that's a really lovely part of it. So there's mm -hmm. a group of us who, and everybody's mm -hmm. welcome to come to these mm -hmm. sessions. You know, we'll bring like this mm -hmm. onion head mm -hmm. that I've got here, this flowering mm -hmm. onion head that's packed full of little black seeds. Mm -hmm. um, you know, people mm -hmm. come in and they bring a piece of a plant <laughs> which has got the seeds mm -hmm. in it and we sit there and we work on that together so mm -hmm. we process the seeds together mm -hmm. and you know we talk about what we're doing mm -hmm. and share our experience and mm -hmm. our knowledge it's a really lovely community thing to do mm -hmm. and so tactile too that's yeah. one of the things I think about the co the benefits that have come out of COVID and people's sort of um re-energized enthusiasm for gardening yeah. is they're touching the earth again yeah and especially for children you know who've maybe not seen that whole process of where our food comes from and not um not made the connection between what they're growing and what's on their plate yeah so they're having a you know a whole rejuvenation and fascination with this life cycle yeah. of our food systems yeah and mm. it is the most it is such mm. a life-affirming mm. thing mm to be able to do you know it's one of the things mm. that I thought was actually a really good sign when at the beginning of COVID you know the seed seeds seed um, companies were running a bit low and as we said there was a bit of a run on seeds mm -hmm. but the nurseries also had a run on seedlings mm -hmm. you know and you know that's obviously an indication that people are worried but it's also a wonderful impulse <laughs> in us to think you know what what I can do now is I can you know some some people would have been thinking I can go and connect with my garden mm -hmm. you know I'll have some time at home I'll be able to do this mm -hmm. and I'm you know, I'm sure that for a lot of people through the difficulties that have happened over the last couple mm -hmm. of months, that would have been a really rejuvenating process, you know, not to mention if you're homeschooling your mm -hmm. kids, what a great thing to be able to teach them about, hey? Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, I think it's 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 one of the yeah, getting your hands in the soil and helping a plant to mm -hmm. grow, being part of that process. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. <laughs> As wonderful. we said last week, when you invested in that organism, you know, that plant, mm. um, 
you know, you have that um, accountability to it, right? You've got to water it. You've got to look after it. You've got yeah. To, yeah. Um, see it through to um, its fruition. Yeah. And yeah. I think that, that gives a whole bunch of respect, you know, yeah. to, to the growing process for kids to yeah. see that. And it's certainly much more viable than hoarding toilet paper. Yeah. Well, it, it seemed like a more productive response, absolutely. Yeah. Um, but also as a word of warning, it's a bit addictive as well. So once you, um, once you get started, um, it's, it, you know, like it's a great thing and, and you can easily get, get stuck on it. Oh, addictions are just strong habits, really. So yeah. as long as they're positive. Yeah, well, you know, it doesn't get more positive than that, no. Yeah. Now, one of the things we've been brushing up against quite a lot, but not quite, haven't quite looked at, is uh, diversity. Yeah. I mean, diversity is, is one of these natural patterns, and it's, it's so integral to the whole concept of evolution and everything. Say a few words about... Uh, Seed diversity? Yeah, yeah. well, just... Yeah, diversity in, in nature, I guess, and we'll get on to seeds after that because it's the same thing, mm-hmm. really, isn't it? Yeah, seeds are my jam. Um, so, uh-huh. <laughs> um, I think they're in your jam. So I think, yeah, diversity is at the heart of it. And, you know, without diversity, we lose resilience. And our biodiversity is such a treasure you know and there's people who know a lot more about that than I do Um, but that's kind of where I start from thinking about the biodiversity of seeds because obviously seeds are you know like a key part of our natural systems Um, and once we start to lose that biodiversity and you know unfortunately we haven't just started we're a long way down that track but once we start to lose that biodiversity we're really we're almost hobbling ourselves mm-hmm. from being able to respond to future challenges like or current challenges mm-hmm. like climate change. Um, we're reducing nature's capacity to be able to respond and evolve and adapt. And so that's one way to think about biodiversity. The other way um, that I think about it when it comes to seeds is just the sheer wonder <laughs> of what's out there, you know? Like, it's just, mm-hmm. it's amazing. I've got mm-hmm. this great book at home, um, Amy Goldman's um, tomato book, and it's mm-hmm. just full of all of these amazing pictures of different types of tomatoes, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's just what she's put in a book, you know? For every crop that we eat, there are hundreds at least of varieties that could be grown. You know, there's all of that diversity out there and that's good for us as human beings it makes it interesting it's fun it's wonderful Um, but it's also really important for us to maintain that biodiversity so that we can genetically help um, so that we can keep that genetic strength through our future yeah so I think about it in both ways yeah yeah and how does how does I guess how does scale sort of affect this Diversity. I mean, you think you could, if you listen to some of the old folk songs, the, the hardcore traveller might have gone 100 kilometres or something, 100 miles, and people really didn't move much. And how does that sort of relate to the, the development of things like varieties? A lot of these varieties are named after towns, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, um, yeah, I think uh, there's always been networks of traders. Um, and so, as you say, Scotty, you know, like <laughs> there's varieties of tomatoes mm-hmm. named after towns. There's varieties of tomatoes named after people's grandmothers you know there's 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 just so much variety and so many different um 
different people who've been active in producing those varieties. But, you know, there's always been trading and there's always been intermixing of those varieties and the capacity for people to do that. Um, but rather than like a more globalised food system resulting in more of that diversity mm -hmm. and more of that spreading, it's going the other way um, and is actually reducing um, diversity. So I think in, and you know, there's different ways of kind of looking at these numbers, but I think um, the, the number that I look at is that we've lost about three quarters of our food crop biodiversity in the 20th century. And another way to think of that is that from 7,000 okay. food plants commonly in cultivation, mm -hmm. we're now down to about 30 that provide 90% of the calories in the mm -hmm. human diet. Mm -hmm. And of those crops, you know, you're dealing with tens of, you know, varieties rather than hundreds and mm -hmm. thousands. So that, you know, that move has very much been towards shrinking biodiversity, mm -hmm. um, whereas it could have easily gone the other way, right? That would make more sense. Mm, well, I guess the, uh, I think it was David Holmgren again who pointed out that um, the, the the movement of people and, and the trade of seeds has, has had an effect like all of the continents crashing into each other all at the same time. Um, and, yeah, yeah the, I guess through the lens of capital, the, the most competitive financial seeds of one haven't they yeah and there's been those you know those deliberate maneuvers mm -hmm. and that deliberate political and economic mm -hmm. project to restrict people from doing that mm -hmm. yeah mm -hmm. um you know seeds are seeds are part of our evolution as human beings they're part of our societies and our mm -hmm. civilization so mm -hmm. yeah absolutely there was a um documentary about the potato growers in idaho in the u.s mm -hmm. and they were talking about you know how in their family, the multi-generational farmers, about the enormous variety of potatoes they had been growing. And it started to become financially unviable for them because mm. the only people that were actually mass buying potato crops were the um, potato chip makers. Yeah. So what happened is the potato chips really do well from one or two varieties. Yeah. And if they wanted to be able to sell their crops, they had to plant these one or two varieties of potatoes yeah. that made good potato chips. Yeah. And that's that's what they ended up having to do. They ended up having to abandon all these hundreds of fabulous varieties. And I remember on the documentary the I think there was actually three generations and on mm. one farm that was still farming together and uh, they were showing some of the older varieties they grew in their own garden for themselves. But their crops, their commercial crops were yeah. these these, you know, very um potato chip viable yeah. varieties of potatoes and they were they were really sad about that but it was financial yeah. survival for them exactly right it's the, it's mm -hmm. the imperative mm -hmm. of the capitalist industrial mm -hmm. agricultural system mm -hmm. it's a, of our food system um, same things happened mm -hmm. in Tasmania mm -hmm. you know um, so whereas there's been you know great varieties of potatoes produced mm -hmm. for generations like mm -hmm. it's you know who are the big buyers of potatoes mm -hmm. what they want mm -hmm. they get right and they it's can got to squeeze fit in the machine properly <laughs> right. right? get your efficiency about the machinery, yeah. yeah. You know, like if, if it doesn't fit, we've, we've constructed mm -hmm. all of this industrial imperative and the transportation and the transportation mm -hmm. imperative. Um, and now we're trying to squeeze everything into that, you know, including the farmers. <laughs> you know, we're trying to squeeze those farmers um, into fitting into that system. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it results mm -hmm. in that, right? So what, you know, what a tragedy is that, like mm -hmm. that loss. One of the... Um, one of the really exciting things, though, thinking about mm -hmm. potatoes and seed saving is um, I was lucky enough mm -hmm. to um, do a trip over 
in South America a few years ago now and we went to Peru and up in the Andes um, there's a place called Parque de la Papa um, which is the potato park and obviously the Peruvian Andes is you know where potatoes come from and that's a huge movement again of peasants um, supported by um, uh, supported by you know community community groups um, running community groups and what they're doing there is you know really focusing hard in on recovering lost varieties of potatoes, mm-hmm. protecting mm-hmm. those varieties of potatoes. Mm-hmm. And that sort of project is happening, you know, mm-hmm. for various foods and various vegetables mm-hmm. all across the world. And it was an amazing thing to see, you know, we were, we were there and um, the guy running the joint um, brought out a big tarp and just spread out, you know, these hundreds of different types of potatoes. And, you know, some of them taste terrible, mm-hmm. right? But, you know, like the, the, the diversity there was incredible. And we think we're lucky if we find a purple potato at yeah. the market, yeah. you know, like yeah. but it, there's all of this potential diversity out there. It just doesn't fit the industrial food system. Mm. Yeah. And I think some of the foods we're familiar with now apparently didn't taste the way they do now because we've just limited the variety so what we're familiar with like apparently bananas a great one for that that bananas yeah. actually don't taste like what we think they taste like there was a whole other banana flavor apparently isn't that an amazing yeah. thought i yeah. you know and i really like to mm-hmm. you know be amazing to actually be able to experience mm-hmm. that you know what did they taste mm-hmm. like but i mean we've got we've got an example anytime you buy a um a tomato in a supermarket right like, no yeah, taste no taste you're having the same experience you know well, a lot of things like corn has been sweetened yeah. by the yeah. by the breeding and i reckon bananas would be the same yeah yeah, yeah. Interesting. yeah. yeah. once you grow your own backyard tomatoes it's kind of hard oh, to yeah. and the <laughs> smell the they smell incredible i know right yeah, yeah. you can just yeah. smell them on the bush it's yeah. beautiful yeah. there's a um a lovely story i think i've told this on the show before but it's relevant there's um maybe not so evident now after the bushfires on the south coast but people who travel to the coast a lot might be familiar they used to see wild lilies growing everywhere beside the road and you see a lot of the tracks have mm. these wild lilies and people said they're not natural or native to this particular area where did they come from and apparently mm. about a hundred years ago there was um a lady who had settled in the area and she used to make wagon trips into town oh. to pick up supplies and to distribute supplies she was some kind of sort of mobile store i guess for the yeah. area and this was her favorite flower yeah and she used to collect the seeds she'd harvest the seeds and on all her journeys she would scatter the seeds so oh. when you see these lilies up and down on the south coast predominantly between batemans bay and maruya yeah right. for the most part and even down as far as bermagui yeah it's from this one lady who on her wagon trips was a seed the original seed saver in batemans bay yeah. scattering these beautiful lily seeds yeah. everywhere yeah, and now a, they've continued a whole oak forest in yeah. in europe somewhere that was yeah. planted by one bloke as yeah. well wow yeah. amazing yeah. and you know like you see the same mm-hmm. thing kind of happen in your own garden if you let a lettuce plant go to mm-hmm. seed right you know you at, at, mm-hmm. at its simplest mm-hmm. that that's seeds saving in a way because it's just replanting itself constantly mm-hmm. yeah that's uh, that's really cool i'm going to keep an eye out for that yeah no i'm just not sure how they've done after the bushfires like i don't know yeah. how um you know some plants rejuvenate quite well after a fire mm. the fire actually is part of their life cycle but i'm not sure lily's not being native to oh, that I, think, area. I think bulbs would do pretty well yeah, yeah. 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 hidden yeah. under the ground yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. hopefully yeah now you've um we've sort of spent a lot of time looking at how it how it shouldn't be done mm-hmm. Uh, how well does does backyard? Because we're looking at the this diversity sort of depends on 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 the seed being grown in the one space, in the one region, the one climate for 
you know, again and again and again. And that was how the varieties developed and grandma grew these and mm. her grandma's grandma's grandma yeah. grew them and mm. or this has been all grown in one town mm. for mm. forever. Mm. Um, mm. And they've developed into their own distinct sort of things because mm. people like different things because mm. we're all diverse as well. Mm -hmm. um, how does the suburban sort of setting where there's a whole swag of different little blocks which are sort of localities how does that mm. fit in with with saving seeds as a really diverse lot of things i mean this is going to mm. get really complicated isn't it um or not yeah, don't know about complicated i think i guess if you it could i guess it could <laughs> um but i don't think it does so when you start saving seeds um it's very easy to um get concerned about purity of seeds um, and it's really you know there's there's a lot of information out there that will tell you that it is you know it can get quite complicated it's very complex you know you need you need, you need professional help to be able to do this sort of thing um, but it doesn't have to it really doesn't have to so you know if you were starting out seed saving what I'd do is at the beginning of spring, pop in quite a few pea seeds um, and just let, you know, some of those peas, just let them go until they're potted, flowered, potted, drying on the plant and then harvest them. And because a pea is self-fertile, you will have saved that pea seed again. You know, same for your tomatoes, same for your beans, same for your lettuces. You know, there's a there's a bunch of plants that can do that. And then it doesn't matter, like, if your neighbour's got a different type of pea, you're both going to have your own piece, you know, that's great. Um, some plants can be a little bit more complicated. So, you know, pumpkins, the cucurbits, mm -hmm. um, they, you know, they really want to party with each other. So, you know, you've got, you got a couple of different ones of those growing in different backyards close mm -hmm. together. Um, the bees are going to come in and have a bit of fun and, you know, spread the pollen around between the different plants. Um, but there's ways around that, you know, you can seal up the flower and go out there and, you know, instead of letting the bees go crazy and do whatever they want, you kind of quarantine the flower you go out and you you are the bee yourself mm -hmm. so, so you're having sex with mm -hmm. your zucchini not the bee yeah. exactly yeah <laughs> sexy times um so you know like there's ways around this sort of stuff but then there's also the really 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 great um really great opportunity that lots of people growing in backyards and community gardens mm -hmm. presents which is that we can you know we do need genetic diversity we do need to mix it up genetically um just saving you know your own seed from the same plant in your own garden isn't going to give you the same genetic breadth and depth um, that you might want so for the resilience and the strength of the plants we do want some of that mixing up and if we're all growing stuff and we're all sharing it together then you know that's a huge strength right yeah. um, and then we get to community resilience so if we've got people you know growing in backyards all across town and sharing and being connected to each other that's a really strong bedrock for community mm. resilience, um, particularly in the face of climate change. Mm. I have friends that are the custodians of a heritage property in Canberra called Well Station, um, and they've created a beautiful garden there, part of the original garden, and then, of course, yeah. enhanced it over the years. And they've been there for, what, 35, 40 years. And almost all of my garden, so I moved into a, a block with no garden, mm. and I'm a renter, so it was, yeah. you know, to be cost-effective as a gardener. So all of my original plants in my garden came from Well Station. Mm. 
And over the course of being there for two years, those plants have done really well because they're very well climatised to Canberra, like well stations in Harrison for people that don't know about it. And they run um, educational trips for the Harrison School to come and look at the garden and sheep shearing and things like that. Uh, But also those plants now have uh, matured enough for me to share them and share Mm -hmm. the seeds with others. So I live in Hall, which is a semi-rural community on the edge Mm -hmm. of Canberra. And now there are many other gardens in Hall with plants that have come from my garden. So originally from Well Station and potentially as far back as the late 1800s, the people were gardening there. And those plants have have journeyed around just in that small community of the sort of the Mm -hmm. Gungahlin, North Canberra area. We've got these, you know, in two years, we've got these wonderful heritage plants that have been shared amongst a few people in the community and hopefully continually so and I imagine that on a small scale is what you're talking about is that having that that's you know that's it that like that's Mm -hmm. what it's about and this is happening in Canberra all over Mm -hmm. the place you know there's growers all across Canberra there's Mm -hmm. people saving seeds all across Canberra Mm -hmm. Um, there's networks of Mm -hmm. people doing it and sharing you know the um, Canberra Organic Growers Society community gardens are a great Mm -hmm. you know site for this sort of stuff people swapping and sharing their plants and their seeds Um, But, you know, there's online forums and, you know, Facebook groups Mm. and it's out there, you know, it's Mm. happening. It's really, really exciting. Mm. And it's that simple. You know, it's Mm. as simple as the the tree peony seeds that you've just given me, (laughs) Zina, you know, like that's now I can, you know, take those and use those in my garden and on and on it goes. I was envisioning hundreds of tree peonies down yeah, the road. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, give us a couple of years. One of the one of the one of the gardeners that we've been working with this year. So earlier this year, we got a grant from um, ACT Government Community Gardens Grant Scheme um, to set up what we call mobile seed libraries mm. with community gardens, and uh, among other places, we're working with a couple of the Cogs Gardens, mm. and um, out at the Cogs Charmwood Garden, there's a bloke named Richard. Um, And Richard has been growing, saving, growing, saving, growing, saving, sharing um, a bean seed since 1974. Um, that he, it's a great story, you can read about it on our website, um, but essentially um, was one that was uh, that his father had grown before him. And, you know, through the connection with the Canberra Seed Savers Network, we've now got those beans this season coming. We'll, you know, distribute those out to growers. And, you know, that bean <laughs> is going to grow again um, in a number of other places and continue. So. so is that like, is that the function of the co-op? Is that the... The reason for formalising this is so you can find this one bean that might be the last of its variety left sitting in a backyard in the middle of McGregor or wherever. There's just one bloke or, or woman's been breeding and breeding and actually bring it back to life. Yeah, I mean, that's that's the dream, right? And A lot of varieties would just die when that old absolutely. timer yep. pops off and the kids sell the house. And yep. That's the end of it. Yep. Mm-hmm. And that's that community resilience and strength again, right? So we're better as people when we're sharing and, you know, mm-hmm. seeds are better when they're shared. Um, yeah, look, that's a, that's a huge part of it. And also preserving those stories and those memories and that work that people have done with plants um the cooperative is also um and scotty i know you're a co-op nut as well um, (laughs) you know um the cooperative is also about shared ownership of the seeds 
So even though we do a lot of distributing and sharing, um, we also still have, you know, a, share, um, a bank of seeds um, on hand. And so it's about shared ownership and democratic control of that and what we do as a seed savers group in Canberra. Um, so that was the reason for formalising that so that we can together work out, you know, what's important, what do we want to do, um, and take joint control of the seeds. Yeah. And everybody's welcome to join. <laughs> so. I'm visualising, we had the um, folks talking about verge gardening uh, last week, yeah. and, you know, about that having that community garden where people could pick their own, you know, the, mm. they treat it as like an open garden for those in need. I wonder if you could do something similar with seeds. Well, it's gather your own. You know, yeah. let a few things on the verge, bolt, go to seed, and then have <gasps> the same sign up there I and love say, it. <laughs> um, gather your own or harvest your own seeds, yeah. right? Yeah, so, what a lovely idea. Um, That's so that, brilliant. You know, that way you could share the seeds within your community. People could see what's yep. growing. They could see the plant in its mature yep. um, form and, and think, oh, I'd like that variety. And, and then they yeah. could, you know. That is <laughs> such a brilliant idea. Okay, yeah. that's my project for spring. And it's really good mm-hmm. too because, you know, like every, well, most plants when mm-hmm. they set seed will produce so many seeds, mm-hmm. you know. So you could just come along and, you know, Shake pull a off bit. maybe yeah. 10. Yeah. You know, that's all you need, and and yeah. it just keeps going on yeah. and on. Or have yeah. just a de- designated part of the verge, or maybe a designated yeah. part yeah. of that garden bed. Yeah. If you're doing raised beds or something like that, but that's where you yeah. let the stuff go to bolt. You know, people know not to pick the plant when it matures. That that plant yeah. is going to be allowed to go to seed. Yeah. And what a great vision, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, why why aren't we surrounded by mm-hmm. free food and mm-hmm. <laughs> seeds everywhere? Mm-hmm. You know, like we can do that. Like the the move um, that ACT Gov's made to you know. Mm-hmm. Permit verge gardening is a great initiative yeah. for that. Yeah, it's a really cool idea. And yes. I think just to, you know, pre- people are really good at solving their own problems. Yeah. yeah. Communities, especially. And yeah. we talk a lot on the show about community response to all sorts of things, you know, to mm. extreme situations and, and, you know, some less positive situations. But, you know, if left to our own devices, we actually can come up yeah. with fabulous solutions. We're just not particularly profit driven. Yeah. We're, we're community centric, right? Yeah. Our, our goal is to do what's best for everyone, not what's best for the few, which is the profit model. Yeah, which is mm-hmm. why, you know, um, our, again, capitalist industrial agriculture system mm-hmm. needs to make laws to stop us, you know, and needs mm-hmm. to set up systems that prevent us from being able to do that because otherwise, mm-hmm. yeah, you know, we're, we're ingenious and creative and productive, mm-hmm. you know, and that's a, a drive that we have as humans mm-hmm. and, you know, a fundamental mm-hmm. part of seed saving, again, is that drive to produce and share and... Mm-hmm. So what are your favourite seeds to save? What do you really enjoy harvesting and saving? Um, Oh, everything. But I've got got to say, I think like lettuces Mm. are just marvellous. Like I love a lettuce because it's, you know, it's the small, it's not the smallest seed, but (laughs) it's a very small seed, you know, there's smaller (laughs) seeds. But it's a very small seed. It's a great one to work with kids on because even though Mm -hmm. it's, you know, you'd think it's too tiny for them, but Mm. it's such a small seed and you plant it. And, you know, if you plant a loose leaf lettuce, you can keep harvesting the leaves for ages. They grow quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, so for kids, they can see a bit of a result. They can start nibbling on it really mm-hmm. quickly. Um, and then when they do bolt, I'm mm-hmm. sure heaps of people have had a lettuce bolt uh-huh. um, before. And for um, the non-gardeners, we should explain what oh, bolt sorry, is. Oh, sorry, yeah. sorry, sorry. Yeah, um, so bolt is really just... I'm off. Yeah, when, <laughs> well, when the plant decides for whatever reason that it's done um, and it's out of here, uh, yeah, basically it makes a move to set seed, right? Mm-hmm. So, and you don't, you know, you don't save from plants that are bolted 
shelter too early mm-hmm. or wrong conditions or whatever. Um, but it's just uh, it just means to set seeds. Mm-hmm. So you know, and a lettuce will send up this huge big stalk right out of the middle of the plant, mm-hmm. um, covered in flowers, mm-hmm. and you know, from those flowers, you'll then start to get that white fluffy stuff. You know, you can even see this in the weedy sort of lettuces around town and stuff, the white fluffy stuff. And then after, you know, after that, while that's happening, you kind of get these little, again, tiny little lettuce seeds all throughout it. And it's just such a wonderful plant to do that with because it's so easy. It's self pollinating so you don't need to worry about crossing or any of that sort of stuff too much not too much anyway um and it's really really great for kids to kind of see a really visible process of what happens you know and as we were talking about before you pull it out of the ground shove it upside down in a bag and wait for a while and then shake you know um but like i'm a seed nut so i love all seeds um i'll tell you the one i don't like amaranth oh okay so that looks a bit like millet doesn't it yeah it's a very spiky plant, oh, okay. um, but so it's painful to harvest. It is a bit. Um, it's 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 painful to work with when you're trying to process the seeds. But mm-hmm. you know, there's lots of different when we deal with um, when we deal with seeds in a bit of bulk. There's lots of different techniques that we use. Um, and when we started Canberra Seed Savers a few years ago, we got lots of assistance from a sister seed mm-hmm. saving group, Bega Valley Seed Savers. Mm-hmm. Um, down around the Bigger Valley. Um, and I was just down there a couple of weeks ago and they were showing me a couple of um, nifty sort of techniques and things that they've got for, you know, separating the seed from the plant. Um, for Canberra Seed Savers, you know, we're still at the point of using sieves and bowls and, you know, blowing into the bowl to, <laughs> to get rid of the chaff and stuff, um, which is good as well. Um, but, yeah, there's lots of, lots of different ways to do it. And there's just lots of knowledge and... Um, I guess wisdom and culture um, mm. that goes with it, which is fascinating. And this is the thing: it's it's this tradition that's passed on. Is it? It's mm. thousands of years old already, but it's passed yeah. on now, just within our own communities. And after an event like COVID, yeah. hopefully, you know, uh, that 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 new generation now is going to look at gardening and look at seed saving. Yeah, I'm really curious too. You mentioned Bigger Valley because they. Yeah. But, you know, surrounded by the bushfires down there and a lot of the bigger shire burnt, mm. if they're going to have some interesting seeds coming out of that, like mm. some of the fire harvested mm. seeds, because there's definitely natives I know that mm. um, react, some, they actually need the fire to germinate mm. some of them. So I'm wondering yeah. if they're going to get that would be, some interesting seed collection after the fires. Yeah, that yeah. would be really interesting to know mm. about. Um, we, we've we been sticking mm. so far, mm. but really needing to get beyond this point, but sticking mm. so far to introduced crops. Um, so food, food crops. Food yeah. crops, yeah, introduced food crops. Um, but, you know, that's really like that's a serious deficiency <laughs> that, you know, that I've got in my knowledge <laughs> um, and in my understanding that I need to, you know, work on. Mm-hmm. Um, but with the bigger valley guys, one of the things they did do in response to the bushfires is they just undertook a massive project of seedling growing as mm-hmm. well. So they've been doing seedling growing for bushfire recovery. So, you mm-hmm. know, lots of people lost, uh, you know, mm-hmm. we don't yeah, need to we, go we into it. them on the show. So, right. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. you know... Um, so that that um that project has been about trying to help people to re-establish mm. their gardens and to keep growing, mm. you know. And the that thing about you know how that knowledge is transmitted and the tradition mm-hmm. is transmitted, 
it was by the Bigo Valley Seed Savers originally kind of saying, we'll, you know, we'll help you to get started. Here's some seeds, mm. you know. They gave us some seeds. Mm-hmm. Um, they ran a course for us, you know, like that sort of just transmission of that mm-hmm. knowledge um, across that generosity, mm-hmm. you know, to kind of share that knowledge um, is really inspiring in itself. And they're doing it again with the, the seedlings. And that's community, right? That's what community that's is it. all about. Yep, that that's generosity it. is the community spirit. Yeah. Um, while we're talking about Bigo, I just want to quickly add to, because you might have some connections here, Arian. Um, when we had the bushfire folks on, they had put out a request for um, old gardening tools because they're so desperate right now to create gardens and to recreate the gardens that were burnt mm. and they don't have anything. Mm. Um, they said if anybody's got any old gardening tools they're not using sitting around in their shed that they'd be happy to donate. They've got two drop points in Canberra. One's the Belconnen Men's Shed and the other one's the Western Creek Men's Shed and they've mm. set up a shipping container at each that you can pop them in. So oh, cool. if there's anybody you know who would like to pass on some second hand, and they said as long as it works functionally as long as it's yeah. functional, it doesn't have to look pretty or you know, yeah. be perfect, be rusty. But as long as they could garden with it, they would love some gardening tools. So what a great know, idea! Know anyone that could donate? Yeah, yeah, that for would be sure. Fantastic. Yeah, very so, cool. So, what's ahead for you guys? We're just getting close to winding down here. Oh, sure. Um, yeah. Well, <laughs> any, any upcoming workshops or anything you'd like? This is the. Um, this is kind mm-hmm. of the. You know, winter's kind of the bit where we all go. Oh, mm-hmm. it's too cold, and just try to protect mm-hmm. our spinach mm-hmm. and let us from freezing. Um, but also, I actually find this a really exciting time because this is when we start planning, mm-hmm. right? So I'm dreaming of spring. <laughs> um, so in spring, we will have more workshops at the Canberra Environment Centre, um, and it's easiest just to mm-hmm. look them up um, and see what's coming up, or like the mm-hmm. Facebook page. Um, we'll also be um, running the seedling giveaway program so i think we're calling it seed savers growing community and there's a facebook group um, if anybody wants to join that and what that's about is in mid-august um, in early August, we'll have a big seed swap. In mid-August, we'll start um, distributing seeds to people who volunteered to grow seedlings. And we're hoping to get some support to be able to provide materials as well, like potting mm-hmm. mix and that sort of thing, because we can't afford that. So if anybody wants to help out mm-hmm. with that, that mm-hmm. would be great. Um, but we want to set up to distribute seeds and materials to people who volunteer to grow seedlings um, to give them the support they need mm-hmm. to do that. And then at the beginning of spring, to be able to go through those community networks again to give away the seedlings to the people who need them, who benefit from them um, and who are interested in giving it a go. And so if anybody wants to be involved in that, you can get in touch with Canberra Seed Savers or if you look up the Facebook group, um, I'm pretty sure we called it Seed Savers Growing Community or the Canberra Seed Savers Facebook page. Um, You can just message us through there as well. Well, that's fantastic. It's been such a pleasure to have you on with us, Arian. It's been it's fun. Really, Thanks, I learned an awful lot. So I did too. On from this is last great. week, yeah, yeah, from the Verge Gardening episode of last week. So thank you. So I just want to thank you. That was Arian McVie from Canberra Seed Savers. And uh, do go and check out their Facebook page. Um, so you've been listening to uh, Zena Richardson and Scotty Foster on Behind the Lines this morning on 2XX Community Radio 98.3 FM in Canberra.